Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. Hey, hey, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about content for bloggers and specifically how much is too much content? Are we putting out the right kind of content? Are we making sure that we can monetize on our content in the first place? We're going to be talking about all of those things with Monica Froze. Monica is a digital product coach for women business owners and host of the popular podcast, Empowered Business. She has an MBA degree in finance and marketing and runs two brands, Redefining Mom, a site for helping women thrive in both motherhood and business, and Empowered Business, where she's committed to empowering 1,000 women earn $100,000 through digital products. She spent 11 years working for a Fortune 100 company running multi-million dollar marketing campaigns with large brands like Microsoft and HP. Now she provides online marketing education to small businesses that are looking to build a profitable revenue stream through digital products through her online courses and podcast. And I am personally excited about this particular one because I talk a lot about content creation, but not specifically content for bloggers. So this is kicking off a really good set of podcast episodes for us. And if you want to talk about being an open book, that is Monica. We had a great conversation. It's fast and furious. So if you normally listen at 1.5x, you might want to pull that back just a touch because there is a lot to unpack here. On to the interview. All right, Monica, welcome to the No Like and Trust Show. Thank you for having me. I love the name of the podcast, by the way. I know. I'm still pretty proud of that one. So. <laughs> I mean, it's so obvious, but yet I, I can't believe it wasn't taken. So good job taking I, it. <laughs> yeah, I can't either. You know, it started in 2016, which feels like forever ago at, at this point. But there have been a couple that have tried to pop up after, which we've had to, you know, deal with. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a but, good name. So yes, you should protect that. <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, I'm, I'm actually really happy that you're here because one of the things that I I know that you're passionate about and that I see maybe a lack of information in the marketplaces is on product ladders and the no like and trust factor. And I've said in one of my recent episodes that, you know, that's really hard to find original topics at this point. But when you take two good topics and kind of mash them up together, magical things happen. I, I feel like that's what might be happening here. So. <laughs> well, hopefully. <laughs> so why don't you just start off with a little bit about how you got to be where you are today? And then, and then we can kind of dive into talking more about the KLT factor and the product ladders. Yeah. So I started as what I guess most people would coin in the online space as a blogger. I really didn't start. I started in 2013. My first blog was called Redefining Mom. And it was simply born out of a need that I was angry postpartum with my first baby. I had really bad postpartum PTSD uh, due to birth trauma. I was seven years into my corporate career at the time. I worked for a Fortune 100 company. And I was apparently, I found out, afforded the, like the best benefits in this country. I was like, set, I was in the top 7% of benefits you know, for like getting my 12 weeks off and the nice clap that you get for getting 12 weeks off, not full pay though. I didn't get full pay for those 12 weeks. Of course Um, not. (laughs) But they, you know, like they'd give me back my job at the end of the 12 weeks. And I say that tongue in cheek, I was very angry. And then I like, as I read more about this and learned about how crappy the maternity leave laws were in the United States, I started a blog because my mentality on a blog at that point was, like in the good old days of live journals and, you know, a blog was like telling your story, right? It wasn't 
content marketing. I wasn't thinking about it as content marketing. I was thinking about it as like, I have this, I have this issue. There's no way I'm the only one and I'm going to go rant about it. Cause that's what I do best. So I did. And then I got all of these interesting opportunities. Like I got to meet president Obama and actually talk to him about my experience as a working mom. I got to go on some national news spots, but I wasn't making money. That wasn't the whole point. I was just, I mean, I had a good career. I was just mad, you know? And some, well, after I met the president, it pretty much dawned on me that, huh, maybe this could be something. And at that time, I would say the online space started having more awareness towards like I guess it was like mom blogs could start making money online. And I hate the term mom blogs because I know so many people who would fit in like a technical mom blog category that are so successful, like million dollar businesses. And they, I I just, I never want to downplay that. But there was not a lot of awareness about monetizing blogs when I got started in 2013. And from the 2015, 2016 timeframe, a lot of people were talking about it. And that's when I, unbeknownst to myself, like I didn't really, I really didn't realize what I was doing, but I created my first digital product, which really kicked off what I do now. Now I teach other women how to create digital products with the intent of helping them gain their own financial freedom so that they are in control of their lives. And, you know, financial freedom is just very important to me from a female perspective, just having control over that, whether you have a spouse or don't have a spouse, whatever that might be. And what ended up happening was in 2016, I quit my corporate job and my audience was this audience of working moms that I had built again, not trying. And when I quit my job, they're like, wait a minute, this girl who preaches about the right to work and she's so passionate about it, quit her job. What does that mean? I'm like, wait, what, what, no, no, I'm building a, a business. And they're like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying it myself. I can't teach you how to do something I, I haven't done myself. And so I ended up boiling it down to, they were, they needed something from me, but I'm like, I don't, I don't really know what to give you at this point. I can't teach you how to do something that I'm actively trying to do myself. So one of the things that kept coming up was, well, you need a budget. You know, like, how do you just give, how do you just walk away from your W2 wage? Well, I had to map out a budget and it really came down to the money. And my husband and I had, had developed this pretty straightforward, but maybe like we're spreadsheet nerds. So maybe it's a little bit more advanced for someone who doesn't like spreadsheets. I called it the family budget spreadsheet. I created it in Google sheets, made it a template, recorded a video, didn't know how to edit videos back in 2016. So, and that video still is the one that goes out when it gets sold. So I don't know how bad I will never listen to it again because (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea, but I mean, four hours of my life was spent creating to meet the need of what my audience was telling me. They need it to be able to project out their cash flow. All these things that just came very naturally to me. I have my MBA in finance. And it's just something that, you know, for me is just how my mind works. And that spreadsheet to date has made over $300,000 with pretty much no effort. And I, and I do not believe in ever saying like passive income or anything like that, because every, every dollar made requires some effort, whether it's customer service emails coming in because someone didn't get their, you know, they, they put in the wrong email address or a card was declined, or they don't know how to use the spreadsheet. Nothing is truly passive, but in terms of like what could be passive, that product ended up being my first of hundreds that I've created. And what I couldn't articulate to then was my audience had a problem. I had a solution. I created a digital product and met that need. And then from there, my audience kept having more needs. So that's the product ascension ladder. So then what was their next problem? And then their next problem. And before you know it, I was just like building upon this momentum of what they needed from me. And eventually it clicked that, 
Well, and then digital products started getting a little bit more momentum in the online space. And I remember thinking, I've been doing this for a very long time. <laughs> you know, it just, it was just something that came naturally to me. And that's not what I teach in a nutshell. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple things to unpack there. I think that the two things that were most notable to me is first of all, the passive income myth, right? Yeah. Maybe it took you four hours to actually put this particular product together that does not factor in all the time you took building the audience with your blog in the first place, which again, as you mentioned, wasn't necessarily meant to monetize originally. It was just something you're passionate about or in your words, angry about. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, And, um, you know, you, you put it together, but there was some serious effort put in there, regardless of whether you intended to monetize it or not, you had already done that work. And then of course you mentioned the customer service and all the things that are required after the fact. Because I've created so many digital products now, I would say that there are ones that are more active and more passive. Like there's a there's a spectrum of them. You know, I, I've done everything up to, I have a multi-thousand dollar mastermind that requires a lot of my involvement. There is not much passiveness going on there. It requires my time to show up live, to be present versus someone paying me $17 for a spreadsheet that I did create once and package once. And now I have, you know, team members that can answer emails and stuff. So it's like, there's a spectrum of how passive something can be. I would say that the spreadsheet has become as passive as possible at this point, but never truly passive. That is meant. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that. Um, the other point that I really kind of latched onto in your story there is that when you found out that they had fulfilled this need, you're like, well, now they've got another need. And you did this, you know, as you said, kind of in a make it up as you go along kind of fashion. There are definitely many, many business owners that probably have done that exact same path, you know, Um, but you had already taken the time to, to build up goodwill with your audience. So one, they already trusted you from all the content you had produced along the way. Two, you had a good spreadsheet. If they did not enjoy that spreadsheet, I would imagine they would not have continued being clients of yours. But you were able to kind of build upon that momentum and move them up the ladder. So so I'm hoping that that's what we can kind of dive into is, is where you found you know, some stumbling blocks along the way where you found really easy ways to move them along the ladder. And, and obviously tying it back to the fact that you're solving problems. That is what marketing does. Marketing talks about how we're going to solve your problems. Well, I think the one thing, okay. So the no like trust factor, and this is something I talk to my students a lot about because I work with a lot of people who got started blogging where they put out a ton of free content and they've trained their audience to expect everything for free. Even to the point where like a lot of bloggers know to actually grow an email list, but They use the email list to send people back to their content that's also free. And that always confused me. I'm like, but don't we have to also know what we're selling at the end? Like you have to be selling. Being in business means you're selling something. You know, that's all, all businesses is selling, by the way. And I don't get overly emotional about this at all. And so I really like working with bloggers because they know how to attract people to them. What has been maybe taught in a way that I don't, resonate with or never really quite understood was why are you spending all this effort getting people to for free and not 
offering them anything paid. There's nothing wrong with offering them something paid. So I always say, start with the end in mind. And the end in mind to me is always what you're going to sell. And then you work backwards from that. So your free content that you're putting out, great, put out free content. I am not poo-pooing free content at all. That is important for also building the no like trust factor, but it needs to lead to how you're making money in your business. And so I love bloggers because they know how to get traffic to them. And my whole idea is like, okay. So the first thing they'll say to me is, well, my audience expects everything for free. They're never going to pay for, for it. And I'm like, but here's the thing. When you get someone, let's say to sign up for your email list, if the first thing you do is present them with an offer for a product, you are already telling them whether they take it or not, that you are someone who sells things, who can offer them a transformation. Cause that's also what a digital product is because it's a solution to your problem, but it's a transformation. That's what you're providing with a digital product. So you're already putting it, that bug in, in their ear that like, okay, like she has things for me and this isn't going to be a free gravy train. Like a lot of bloggers feel like they've trained their audiences to expect. And then, so right away too, when someone takes that initial offer, you have already built the initial step of that no like trust factor because they have trusted you to give you money. Now, like you did point out something very interesting. You're like, I'm assuming the spreadsheet was pretty good because for people to stick around. Luckily it was, I can't say I definitely knew what I was doing, but I, I mean, I came from a corporate background and it was, you know, I had a very, I had a professional career and I think like my expectations of what I was providing were quite high. And luckily I think that came across in what I produced and I do. So if you fall down on that initial product, so an Ascension ladder, a product Ascension ladder is you solve one problem, then you build upon it. Right. And the, the products don't have to get more expensive either. And people, that's like one thing that I feel like is, is a myth in the online world is people assume, or they come to me and they think, I, but Monica, I'm not gonna be able to end with like a $500 course. My topic doesn't lend itself to a $500 course. I'm like, whoever told you it had to be a $500 course. It just has to solve another problem. Your people have lots of problems that you can solve. They don't have to go up in price. So see, I just lost my thought what I was going with that, but <laughs> I was like, cause I get really passionate about people saying that you you just always have to charge more and more and more. I'm not actually, a, I, I have essential ladders that do go up in price on certain topics, but I have other ones that are just flat. They're just a bunch of products that solve a lot of problems that the same avatar has that stay relatively the same, but they need to trust you. That's, I think where I was going. If your first product that you sell to them is junk and doesn't give that promise, doesn't fulfill that promise, they're never going to buy from you again. You've ruined the, the no like trust factor. And so that's why when people think, well, if my first product isn't going to be that expensive, they want to like not make it that great, I guess. Sometimes it's like a mental block I've seen that some people have. And I'm like, no, no, this is literally you building that no like trust factor with your ideal customer. You want to knock their socks off. Don't hold back. Make it the best it can be. Or I get a lot of questions too about, well, how much should I charge? for a $14 ebook versus a hundred page ebook. And I'm like, do we care about the number of pages or do we care that you're giving them what they need to get the transformation you promised them? I don't care how long it is. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Give me exactly what you promised me and charge accordingly. That's all. So I'm a big fan of separating free content that provides value from free content that generates leads. And I talk about okay. on that on this the show quite a bit. And I, I know that you were mentioning bloggers who are just so like stuck in the rut of, but my audience thinks I'm gonna give everything for free, right? So mm -hmm. when you're talking with bloggers, especially as we're talking about building a product letter that does all of these things, like where do you draw the line on on what free content should be and what paid content should be? 
That is such a good question. So I believe, I think there's probably like two ways I look at this and I'm pretty sure this is how I teach in in everything too. So free content is, so we do an exercise called reverse engineering where we use the three major search engines, Pinterest, Google, and YouTube to identify the problems that our people are searching. Cause that's all a search engine is, is people go with a problem, they put it in the search bar and then they want you to have results. And so it's like a goldmine to figure out what problems people are actually having related to your topic. Free content needs to overcome those objections. Like the objections people have to so- for you to solve their problem. Cause every, in every topic, there's objections. There's a, something holding someone back from seeing success in whatever it is that you want to sell. And they're going to have all these objections that come up and, and free content can overcome those objections, can answer those most pressing questions to get them t- to believe that they can take action on what you're offering. So that, and then the other thing is sometimes it makes sense to explain like the what and the why, and then provide the how in the paid product. I guess a good example of that would be, I ran a successful Pinterest ads course for four years. I think it was four years. It was, it was quite successful. Thousands of bloggers went through it. And I learned very early on, see, as someone who it came running paid Pinterest ads came very naturally to me. And so I did a free challenge when it first launched and it was a three day challenge. And on the last day I showed them how to set up an ad campaign, because honestly, that was not the goal of the course. Anyone could follow the three steps. Pinterest actually makes it very easy to set up an ad. And in my mind, I'm like, this is like, literally they lead you through how to do this. So that's not going to, but people thought, oh, she gave me the, how I don't need to buy the course. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. The course is like how to all the things that come after you hit publish on that ad, how to understand your metrics, how to make good decisions, how to actually have a successful campaign. But everyone's like, oh, she showed me the how I'm done. I don't need the next steps. You have to be careful that there's a differentiation that they, they still, you need them to want the product or to understand that they need, it has to be like this natural lead in that like, I understand, I'm meeting you where you're at. I understand your problem, which is like the what and the why. And here, and I, and let me give you the, like speaking in their language, like why you're experiencing this frustration, why you want to accomplish what you're looking to accomplish. But if you tell them how to do the whole thing, they're never going to buy your product either. So those are like the, I guess the two major ways I draw the differentiation between free and paid. Yeah. And then, you know, there's that kind of like intermediary how situation where they think that you've given them the how, even though you have not given them that. I think think that's what happened in your paid pin course, right? Like Mm -hmm. they thought that setting it up was the only how that they needed, not realizing that actually making it a profitable endeavor was like the real how. (laughs) They won't realize that till they have some unprofitable pins out there, right? So (laughs) yeah, that's exactly what happened. So when I retooled the challenge, I did not do that. I, there was a lot of other stuff that could give them a, cause in a free challenge for me, it was really important. You want them to accomplish something, feel like they're accomplishing something, but it had to be differentiated from the ultimate of what they were going to accomplish, which is to have a profitable ad campaign. So I I learned along the way. I mean, I launched several times over those four years and, and learned the audience. And that was for, you know, a more expensive program. So I think a lot of times with smaller digital products, it's more so overcoming their objections with your free content, answering those burning questions that are holding them back that naturally lead them to be like, okay, she gets it. I understand. So 
Are you going to tell me how to do it now? Yeah. In my product, I'm going to tell you how to do it. (laughs) And here's the link for that $17 product or that $147 product or what have you. Right. So, okay. So that's, that's really great for content for larger products. I could see if you have, and this is coming from someone who doesn't have a ton of smaller um, price products, mind you, but I could see if you had a lot of smaller price products, the ability to create content geared at overcoming the hurdles for those purchases would be a lot. I mean, you'd have a lot of different content pieces out there that you'd have to manage because with so many different products out there, unless you have a good way to kind of string them together in like one good long piece of content. I, so this is part of my personal evolution in in the online space is I used to put out a ton of blog posts essentially around these smaller topics and not on the business to business side, you know, teaching digital products, but on the consumer side, the working mom side with redefining mom, we had tons of blog posts we put up like, Okay, so the budget spreadsheets, we have a whole pillar on our blog about family budgets. And I could have taken that angle and I did. I took that angle a million different ways and it probably wasn't necessary. Now, in my opinion, especially for lower price products, it's what I would call pillar content. Like those two to three really good pieces of content that address these hurdles that people are having and you just promote the crap out of those, you know, that's what you lead with everywhere. And then I'm also really big on building funnels. So for me, I often go right to the, to the, to the free opt-in. Like I, I don't spend a whole ton of time creating a bunch of blog posts. Instead, I drive primarily to get people to give me their email address right away. Because the thing about blogs too, that can be hard is there's a lot of noise on them. Like I, whole separate topic. Like I'm not a fan of display ads. I think it actually drives bloggers to monetize the wrong way. And then they get kind of stuck in a trap there and they never really get out of it. For me, even without that, like I don't have display ads on my site, but we took off the sidebar, but you still have a menu. There's anytime someone comes to any piece of content, if there's any other call to action than the main call to action you want them to take, it can distract them. And our attention spans are so not there. So (laughs) yeah, they're just, you know, so when I run like paid ads and when I'm directing people on Instagram to where I want them to go, generally I'm leading them to the top of my funnel, which is get on my email list, which immediately is going to be led with that. What I call tripwire offer limited time offer, you know, whatever people want to call it. And here's the thing too. I don't, the whole point of the limited time offer is because when you're training them to understand that you are going to be selling stuff. Like you're getting on my email list and I do have stuff to sell. So don't feel bad that you're going to be sending sales emails because you're in business. That's what we do. There are people that don't want to wait and they want to buy right now. Like give me the thing right now. I'm going to buy it. And why would you deny that? Why not? Just you should, but there'll always be people that need to know more. So they get on your list. Now they have this opportunity to get to know you more. Like for me now, I lead a lot of people to our podcast where they can listen to me and get to know me that way before they might ever pay me money. And that's fine. Cause everyone's, everyone is different, but I, my attitude in business has always been this. I want to own the relationship and I will give you all of my stuff after. So it's hard for me to ever lead with too much because I like our podcast show notes are like blog posts, but it's more like give become part of my world. And then I'll give you all the free stuff, but I want you part of my world first. So I'm very hyper-focused on getting that initial conversion, which is to get on my email list. And that's, that's how I teach too. 
It's definitely something that I personally can work on. I would imagine a good chunk of the audience probably feels the same way. But but for me, um, it's it's definitely something that I have kind of let go in my pursuit of filling certain funnels or selling certain services. I tend to forget that the gatekeeper of my business is that opt-in. And I have like a fantastic opt-in gift personally, but promote the crap out of it, as you said, is probably yeah. something I could do better at. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's, especially with last year, iOS 14 really took a hit to Facebook ads and, oh, that's like, I really do strongly believe the online space is going through quite the transformation that I, there's just so much going on all at once. And the pandemic really changed the way people are interacting with content online. And honestly, when I look, when I really like, I call it my 10,000 heli- 10, foot helicopter view. I, my team laughs at me because we'll be like talking in the weeds of something. And all of a sudden I have this idea and I'm like, the helicopter's coming out and I can like see all the roads in front of us. It's like my strategy view. And uh, one of the things that just really strikes me about how the online space is working right now is if I had not spent the time growing my email list, like I did for all those years, I, it would be a very tough go right now. I would say, you know, like gone are the days of running ad and it can, I had one ad, I want to say it was probably 2019, 2020. That thing was so profitable, brought so many leads for practically nothing. It was like, honestly, it was like printing money. It was like raining money. That's what it was. I mean, that's not, you can't build. I was very aware that you can't build a business. That's not a a business model, but I took advantage of it while it was there. And then I just think of all the other ways that I've always been so hyper-focused on getting that email conversion. And I just think, wow, our email list in so many ways has saved us and and given us control is ultimately in, in my business. I feel like it has given me control to be able to communicate with people when I need to communicate with them and not have to try to earn them to come back, you know, because if you don't have a way to communicate with them, then you're always chasing them down across the internet. Like, well, maybe I can find you on Instagram or maybe I'll find you through an ad or maybe I'll find you on TikTok, but that's exhausting. Acquiring new leads constantly is exhausting. And the business 101 when I was getting my MBA was, uh, it is cheaper to sell to an existing customer than to acquire a new customer, right? And so that's what an email list allows you to do. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, in all this time that you've done that, going back to the the whole no like and trust factor, of course, you've put the time in. You've you've yeah. put that work in with the people on your list. You've been producing good results for them when they do purchase things. You know, they they come back. They have that loyalty to you because you showed them right up front. Hey this is what I'm doing here. This is what you can expect to receive here. And this is what I'm going to offer you. You can't force them to purchase, obviously, but you are putting it there on offer based on the validity of everything else that you've offered so far. Yes. And I will say this with the no like trust factor. One of the things I think I did exceptionally well as I was growing my list is while I always had a sales mentality, because I believe that, you know, I am in business and we, when you're in business, you have to make money. Otherwise you don't have a business. And it never bothered me to sell, but I spent an extremely large amount of my time writing very, uh, I, I guess I would call connection emails. And I have people to this day that will come up to me at events and say, when you wrote this email about your cluster migraines, or when you went on that cruise and you got vertigo or your postpartum experience, like you put into words, the thing that made me feel alone and isolated. And like, 
that has nothing to do with me teaching you digital products, my migraines and my vertigo and all that stuff. But those are the things that made people remember me. And, and the things like one time I was on a podcast and I, now I have a mug behind me that says mom guilt with a cross out. And I just like, I was very pregnant at the time. I remember that very pregnant and very like exhausted with my second. And I got asked about mom guilt. And I was like, I just don't do mom guilt. I don't believe in it. And they're like, what do you mean you don't believe in it? I'm like, it's a social construct. Like I'm not, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to be guilty about being a mom. <laughs> and it, so many people have come up to me and been like, that just changed how I showed up as a mom. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's like really honoring. And, but that's why people, that is ultimately why people can connect. I mean, it's not this like stale process where it's, buy my budget spreadsheet. I mean, that's boring. Why do and, you know, I say all the time, you can Google budget spreadsheets, family, even put in the name, name of my product, family budget spreadsheet into Google, tons of free ones come up, but why do, why will people pay $17 for mine? Because my sales page tells a story about how my husband and I paid off $65,000 in debt using this exact system. Cause one day we didn't hit the commission numbers in our commission job that we needed to. And we were scrambling and we really didn't know what our financial future looked like. And this is how this was born. And if you can relate to that, this will probably help you. I mean, you don't relate to that when you Google that and a stale template comes out that you can download. No one explains to you how to use it. No one, you don't have any, you don't know that it actually worked for anyone. Cause it's like, there's no face to it. And that's, and so that's where the no like trust factor, just being human. A person. <laughs> yeah. Being a human people connect to you. It doesn't even have to be specific to that topic. They just need to know that there's a real human on the other side of it. I love that. I think that's a pretty good place to kind of sum everything up here, mm -hmm. being human, building up that KLT factor. And um, Monica, if, if people are interested in what you're talking about, where can they find out more about you? Oh, we made a unique link for you. It is uh, monicafroze.com forward slash KLT. And basically we just keep that page updated with everything that we have going on. There'll obviously be a way to get on my email list because as I said, we were just talking what, about that. That's what we lead with <laughs> around here. And also I have a link on there to my Instagram, which we I actually do answer all of my DMs on there. So if you're if I said something, you're like, oh, I want to tell her about that. That's usually when people slide into my DMs. They're like, I heard you on this podcast. And so feel free to do that if you want to tell me about something you like that I said. <laughs> Or yeah, not. if you get an influx of, oh my gosh, I had vertigo too, DMs, I guess we probably know where they came from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I even get some people who are like, I did not like what you said. And that's fine. I am all for the debate. If you don't agree with something I said, let's have a debate. Just be nice. We could just be nice. <laughs> yeah. Both ways, right? Yeah. Prefer the one. <laughs> Well, Monica, thank you so much. Uh, I greatly appreciate your time here. And I know that a couple of the things you said resonated enough with me that I'll be looking at a couple of things in my business. So obviously, personal thank yous are in order. And um, hopefully that everyone else listening can say the same thing. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Thank you again to Monica. That was a really fantastic conversation that I personally thoroughly enjoyed, as you guys heard. And um, if you guys needed the same reminder that I did, that a lot of your content should be pointing towards your free gift so that people do join your universe and do get the benefit of everything else that you're doing by being on your email list, take that and run. If that's all you get from that, you're already a leg up. But as I said in the intro, there was a lot to unpack here on product letters on how to build your no like and trust so you can capitalize on all of these things that you've been working on for so long. You guys know I always say 
if you are creating content, let's make sure it is actually working for you. And I love how Monica frames that entire idea in what we were talking about today. If you guys found value from the show, please do us both a solid and share it with a friend who needs to hear this message. And then hop over and leave an honest five-star review on whichever platform you are on right now. You guys know my take on this. A rising tide does lift all boats. We can create the ripple effect. We can make sure that all of us are doing better in business and create a better place in this world. Until next week, guys. 